Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Last month, Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 took off from Portland, Oregon, toward Ontario International Airport in Southern California. The plane ascended through a routine first six minutes. The Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft was about halfway to cruising altitude when suddenly a panel plugging an unused door behind the left wing blew out. The plane immediately depressurized. Now, this terrible event could have turned into a catastrophe, but thankfully did not. Two seats next to the hole were unoccupied that day, and the crew kept their heads and safely landed the plane back at Portland International Airport. The incident was not fatal. But in a lawsuit filed by several passengers, they say the incident left them traumatized and physically injured. Now, you've heard of the 737 MAX before, of course. In 2018 and 2019, two 737 MAX 8s, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 and Lion Air Flight 610, crashed due to control system failures on the aircraft. That prompted a temporary worldwide grounding of the entire 737 MAX fleet, both 8 and 9s. The FAA lifted that grounding November of 2020. It was 20 months long a grounding that was the longest ever for a U.S. airliner. Now, there's scrutiny back on the 737 MAX again. With Alaska Air 1282, we have a mechanical failure of a 737 MAX 9. Well, Ed Pearson joins us today. He's not just an aviation safety expert. He has truly unique insight into these specific aircraft. Ed, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I should say, Ed, that you are currently, and for the past several years, you have been director and our director, executive director, of the Foundation for Aviation Safety. But prior to that, where did you work? Uh, prior to that, I worked at the Boeing company inside the uh, 737 factory. The 737 factory that built the, that builds the 737 MAX planes? Yes, that's correct. And that's in Renton, Washington? Yes. How long did you work there? I worked at the factory for three years. And what did you do? I was a senior manager in the production system support organization, and we supported the building of the airplane. So tell me in more detail what that means. What was your day-to-day -day job? Well, I had two groups that I was responsible for. One was the industrial engineering group, which took um, the responsibility for all the planning of the build and all the details associated with uh, how the everything came together. And then there was another group that was called Shipside. And that group was uh, really more of a response organization. Whenever there was an issue with a uh, problem on the airplane, they would come over and our, our team would assist that individual to uh, get the, whatever they needed, parts, engineering drawings, uh, quality assistance, what have you. So is it fair to say, Ed, that you know these, these aircraft, the 737 MAX, pretty well? Yes. How, how well would you say you know them? Well, um, I think I know them pretty well, but, you know, we're still learning some things and um, things we're learning are not necessarily good. Okay. Why did you leave in 2018? 
Well, I wasn't planning on it. I was actually hoping to spend another five or seven more years at the company. And, um, but I started seeing a serious decline in, uh, in, uh, everything, every facet of the company and inside the factory was a mess. Um, we were rushing planes out the door. Employees were reporting all kinds of issues. My team and other teams were expressing frustration. Um, there was uh, people working ridiculous amounts of overtime and all our performance metrics in the factory were going in the wrong direction. And it was just an uh, uncomfortable uh, place to be. I didn't support the leadership um, the way they were treating employees. And I just didn't think it was a healthy place to work. And I knew I needed to get out, get out of there. So I decided to retire early. Did you, did you feel like you needed to get out because you were concerned that Boeing was sending unsafe planes out the door? Yes, that was a big part of it. So when you say that they were rushing to get planes out the door, I mean, to, to me, it's hard to understand what that means, given the size and complexity of these aircraft. And... Um, you know, uh, ostensibly the the uh, very fine scrutiny that they're under, both f- within Boeing from the manufacturing process and then also, of course, from regulators and customers. So can you tell me more detail what it means to rush a plane, a uh, 737, out the door? Sure. Um, you have to understand that this complex is gigantic. I mean, it has thousands of employees working in it. There's three assembly lines, uh, and each assembly line has about nine or ten what we call flow days. So the fuselage would get trained in from Wichita, Kansas. It would get uh, lifted into flow day one, and then the build process would begin. And, you know, that's where they started to install all the infrastructure of the airplane, like the plumbing and the electrical and the insulation. And as the plane went down the line, then, then in flow day f- uh, four, uh, the wings would be joined, and then it continued down the, the line. And so every day, uh, all three lines, these airplanes are moving. Every night, they're getting moved to the next position. So you have, um, you know, a couple thousand employees who are uh, building at, at the plane and three shifts, basically seven days a week. And each person, that manufacturing employee, would have like a certain number of jobs to perform. So you might have four jobs. I might have three jobs, depending on the duration. And every day, you were expected to perform those jobs. And when you have you know, the proper training and the proper supervision and quality control and you have all your parts and you're well rested, you know, people do amazing work. I mean, that's what the company's done for many years. But what we were seeing was a shortage of parts that were coming in. First, it started with their engines coming late, a pretty darn important part for an airplane. And um, that started a cascading effect. Now we started seeing other suppliers sending their parts into us late. And unfortunately, the plane keeps getting moved down the line. It's called um, out of sequence work. So let's say you work on flow day three and you go to install your parts and they're not there that day. So you can't do your work. So the person following you may not be able to do their work because you didn't do your work. And it's a, it's a very um, potentially dangerous situation. And that's what I was seeing. And so employees were um, very tired. There was lots of reports, like I said, on um, defects and mistakes being made. Process breakdowns all over the place. Hmm. Okay. Uh, So we're going to come back to the things that you saw on the line a little later in the show, Ed, but you've already said so much that uh, it really undergirds, I'd say, the reason why we're, we're privileged to have you on the show today, because after you left 
uh, Boeing. As I said, you became executive director of the Foundation for Aviation Safety. Now, regarding that Alaska Air 1282 flight, um, I actually understand that even before this year, that in fact last year, spring of last year, you sent a letter to the uh, CEO of Alaska Airlines. What prompted you to do that and what was in the letter? Well, if I could, just let me just go back because I want to make sure that people understand. After I retired from the company, I became a safety advocate. And uh, it was our our foundation that was created, was created very recently. It's it's only about six months old. But um, as far as what what caused me to write the letter to the CEO, myself and um, another gentleman named Joe Jacobson, who's a former FAA aerospace safety engineer, we've been closely monitoring the airplane's um, performance. Uh, after it was um, recertified, and we started seeing all kinds of evidence of production quality defects, brand new planes coming out with uh, systems failures that should never happen, especially on new planes. And this included everything from engines to anti-icing to flight management computers, autopilot. It was just a very diverse range of issues, and it was concerning. So it just so happened that Alaska Airlines had submitted um, over 1,200 reports on 53 new airplanes in a year, a two year span of time. And so we were looking at this information and I wrote a letter in April to the CEO pointing out the obvious production quality defects that were occurring on his planes. And he just never responded, he he ignored it. Um, Then we, our foundation wrote a report in September and we uh, detailed out uh, these issues and, Alaska Airlines media people called us, left a message. I called them back, left a message. They never, they never re- returned our call after that. Okay, so these twelve hundred reports that you said you uh, Alaska Airlines had filed, can you clarify for me? Wh- I mean, where were they filing these reports to, and how did you get the information? Okay, um, so there's a Title 14 law that requires uh, U.S. aircraft certificate holders to submit to the FAA uh, reports of aircraft system malfunctions, and that is called the FAA Service Difficulty Reporting System. It's a very user-friendly database that the FAA maintains, and it's actually quite difficult to find sometimes um, if you don't know where to look. And it's even more difficult to uh, query because you have to know kind of the nomenclature of the airplane. So we were able to, um, you know, because we have experience in this, we were able to um, extract the data out of that and just kept um, doing analysis. And we've been talking about it. Um, we, we actually created a podcast to help get the word out about it. And um, as we were looking at all this data, uh, it was very concerning because, again, new airplanes should not be having these kinds of problems. And this database, is it's public? It's supposed to be public? It is public. Okay. It's called the FAA Service Difficulty Reporting System. Um, but I'll I'll just tell you, it's it's even for people that are aviation uh, types, it's it's kind of a pain to, to, to query. Um, okay. Go so, ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but... Uh, so again, the details really matter here. I mean, Ed, you're you're an engineer, yeah. so you understand that the details really matter. Uh, Twelve hundred reports from Alaska. Were you looking for specifically seven thirty seven Max reports, or just kind of all reports on new aircraft coming out of Boeing? No, we were just looking at seven thirty seven eight and seven thirty seven nine Max airplanes. So twelve hundred reports just from Alaska on those two model of aircraft. 
on they just have the 737-9 okay and what, what people have to understand is alaska's headquarters is the Alaska is probably the closest, it is the closest airline in the world to the 737 program. It's right down the road, 20 minutes down 405. And, you know, if that plane is having problems with the, you know, if that airplane is having problems there, we're wondering what's happening overseas. Would you fly a 737 MAX today? No, no way. I actually was put on one accidentally and I had to walk off the plane. Okay, Ed, hang on for just a second, because we are speaking with Ed Pearson. He's executive director of the Foundation for Aviation Safety. He worked on Boeing's 737 MAX production line for three years. And we're trying to learn what's happened at Boeing as a company as well that's shifted its culture, according to several reports, from one of the proudest engineering aviation firms in the world to one that's now been beset by crisis after crisis. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Ed Pearson joins us today. He's executive director of the Foundation for Aviation Safety. He's been an aviation safety advocate since 2018. That was the year he left his employment at the Boeing Corporation. He had worked for three years, from 2015 to 2018, as a senior manager on Boeing's 737 MAX factory line in Renton, Washington. So he knows the process that goes into building these complex machines, and he knows the planes themselves very well. Now, I should note that we definitely reached out to Boeing uh, for comment, a statement for them to provide someone to us to join us live today. They were unable to do that. Uh, They did uh, point us to recent comments that Boeing CEO made in a quarterly earnings call regarding uh, the Alaska Airlines flight failure. We will hear a little bit more Uh, from those earning calls moments in just a few minutes. But first of all, let's just hear the voice of a passenger who was on Alaska Air 1282. This is Elizabeth Lay. She spoke to CBS affiliate KCAL News about what happened. All of a sudden I heard like a big bang and I didn't know exactly what was going on. But um, I look up and the oxygen masks were hanging from the ceiling. And then I look to my left and there's this huge chunk, part of the airplane just like missing. And the wind is just extremely loud. There's wind blowing everywhere. 
So that's a passenger, Elizabeth Lay. Now, Boeing CEO David Calhoun met with lawmakers on January 24th as Boeing grounded all of its 737 MAX 9 planes. And on his way to his meeting, he assured the media about his confidence in the company's planes. We fly safe planes. We don't put airplanes in the air that we don't have 100 percent confidence in. It's Boeing CEO David Calhoun on January 24th. And here is Calhoun again after the blowout of Alaska Air 1282 speaking to uh, Boeing employees about the issue. We are going to approach it with 100 percent and complete transparency every step of the way. We're going to work with the NTSB, who is investigating the accident itself to find out what the need cause is. The FAA, who has to now deal with the airline customers who want their airplanes back in service safely and to make sure all the procedures are put in place, inspections, all the readiness actions that are required to ensure every next airplane that moves into the sky is in fact safe and that this event can never happen again. That's Boeing CEO David Calhoun. Now, Ed, what I'd like to do for the next several minutes here is dig into the NTSB's preliminary report on Alaska 1282 here, because I read through the whole thing. Um, It's definitely written in aviation ease, but I'd love to help you decipher uh, for us a little bit of what the NTSB is, uh, uh, is saying is a possible cause for this failure. This is a Fairly recent report, but again, I emphasize it's a preliminary one, okay? So first and foremost, they say that this particular aircraft was delivered from Boeing to Alaska Air on October 31st, 2023. So as you were saying earlier, it's a new aircraft. I mean, it had that failure, what, three months later? Right, exactly. Okay. So normally, in the first three months of an aircraft's lifespan, you know, they're not perfect machines, but what would be sort of normal anomalies for an airplane that they, that you might expect? Well, it's a it's a brand new plane. You, you wouldn't expect any anomalies. You expect that plane to be perfect. OK, OK. I was I just want to check because, you know, I, I, I didn't I don't really I'm not an expert in what the tolerances are for, for errors and anomalies in, in aviation. So they're pretty tight is what you're saying. Right. I mean, and obviously some of these airlines have been flying very old planes, so they're used to dealing with, um, you know, some issues. But, um, you know, if you had a brand new uh, car, you wouldn't expect it to have problems. Okay. So... And I I would like to make, if I could at some point, I I would like to respond to the comments that the CEO has made because I think it's very important to address them directly. So I hope we can... Actually, yeah, no, why don't you go ahead and do that now? Because the NTSB report's sitting here in front of me and we can get back to it. Okay. Well, well, first of all, uh, unfortunately, I think it's it's un- when uh, CEO Calhoun is speaking about transparency and uh, doing everything right. I, I got to tell you, I feel like it's it's hogwash because we've heard this before. We heard this um, before the planes were cra- the first plane crash occurred that the plane was perfectly safe and a wonderful uh, plane. We heard it after the first crash. We heard it again after the second crash. This we is heard in it 20, after the 20, certification. 2018, 2019. Right. Yeah, okay, go ahead. 2018, 2019. We heard it after it went through a grueling 20-month recertification. We heard it again after the plane was grounded for an electrical issue um, shortly after being recertified. And, and now we've heard it again after the Alaska accident. And so really, um, we've heard this over and over again. And those those words really sound very shallow to me. Um, 
as, and as far as transparency and speaking with employees and speaking with lawmakers, um, one of the issues that we've been pointing out is the CEO and the C-suite and the board of directors need to get out of their chairs and go down and spend time on the factory floors with these employees. So when they work with these, when they get on the floor with these employees, they're going to learn more in a day than they would in, you know, 50 PowerPoint briefings. And that's really important because if they don't see it, if they don't understand those challenges, then it's easy for them to get out of touch. And unfortunately, that's what's happened. And it's it's unfortunately not just the 737 program. Um, and as far as transparency goes, and I, and I look forward to talking to you about the NTSB report, but what people don't know, they've heard the story about the first two crashes. Everybody in the world has heard about the MCAS software and the lack of pilot training and the rush design. All of that is true. But those two airplanes, both of those airplanes also had serious manufacturing defects, electrical defects in those airplanes. And I've written reports on it. Um, we've been uh, pushing this information out. Um, and it's, it's very frustrating because that was never investigated. In fact, I know this is shocking to people, but um, I have an email here from the managing director of the NTSB to myself and a mother who lost her 24-year-old daughter. Um, and the NTSB, after we asked them after we confronted them, um, they acknowledged that they never went in and investigated the Boeing manufacturing in the factory after a two-month-old and a four-month-old plane crash. So meanwhile, they're telling the world that they're going to fully cooperate and they're assisting the international investigators, um, and it didn't happen. Wait, and, wait and, um, Ed, I'm sorry. I want to yeah. be clear. Who didn't go back into the Boeing factory to investigate uh, manufacturing? So... When an accident happens overseas, the country where the accident occurs automatically assumes what's called the investigator in charge responsibility under international standard Annex 13, which is a international civil aviation organization standard. And then all the other parties are in, in a support role. They're in the position where they provide information. So in the United States, the NTSB was in what's called an accredited representative role where their job was to basically be the lead for the U.S. and their job was to coordinate with the manufacturer Boeing and the regulator FAA and the NTSB, all the parties to an investigation are responsible for sharing relevant information. Um, and that didn't happen. And not only did it not happen, even though I had um, written extensively to the NTSB after the crashes. Um, I had written to, the, you know, I had talked to the general counsel of this Boeing company. I had written to the board of directors. All that happened after the first crash. The NTSB, even after all that, did not investigate Boeing manufacturing. And again, it was a two-month-old, a four-month-old plane. Both of those airplanes experienced uh, fault messages and error issues uh, in, their, in their planes uh, within the first month of being in service. And people should be outraged. Um, so when the NTSB says they're going to go in and do a thorough investigation, I have my doubts. So you're saying that the NTSB itself, in this email to the mother of victims of one of those, uh, the Ethiopian or Lion Air crashes from 2018 and 2019, admits that it did not send any anyone to the Boeing factories in Washington state to take a look at manufacturing after these two planes went down. That's right. They said there was no reason to. They, they had, you know, they thought that they knew what happened and, and they've had a, you know, what they thought happened. And 
Um, they thought it was a miscalibrated uh, uh, sensor in the case of the Lion airplane, and they thought it was a bird strike in the case of the Ethiopian plane. And those are the stories they stuck with, and they didn't want to hear or, and look into anything else. But that's not what happened. That's not what caused those crashes, as we later found out. Well, as we later found out, MCAS did activate. It did overwhelm the pilots. The pilots did everything they could to save those planes. Um, they were not even really aware of this uh, software. And, um, but it was not just that. That was the point. There was other factors that played a role here uh -huh. and that were never, never investigated. And now we're seeing, in our opinion, we're seeing um, evidence of this uh, lack of investigation because we're seeing lots of issues with uh, uh, in-service airplanes. Um, Let me just ask you quickly here. Um, aviation, as you know better than anyone, is an incredibly complex industry. Just you know, speaking purely from the technological standpoint, as we have seen in, you know, other really complex uh, industries, the government knows that it doesn't necessarily have the adequate expertise in-house uh, to put that super fine tooth comb on every single part of the process. And so for quite some time, there has been a degree of, I don't want to call it self-regulation, um, exclusively, because that's not what it is, but uh, cooperation between manufacturers, Boeing and uh, and the FAA or the NTSB, uh, where the regulators rely on Boeing to to give them, uh, uh, you know, good data on the manufacture of their airplanes. It, first of all, is that a fair uh, description of how that works? Yes, it's very complicated, and yes, the government relies on the uh, industry quite a bit. Um, but I would just very quickly say the FAA has more than enough resources. They have um, 45,000 employees, 15,000 are air traffic controllers. So there's 30,000 other employees, but the busiest airplane factory in the world, they were only able to devote four or five people to. And, uh, and their headquarters, their regional headquarters is right down the street. It has um, 1,600 employees. Um, so they have the adequate resources. It's a matter of using the resources more effectively. Okay, but to, so just to be clear, the regional headquarters, regional being the key word, is in Washington State for Boeing, but their their corporate headquarters are in Chicago. Um, sorry, I mean a confusion. So Boeing's corporate headquarters moved from Chicago to Arlington, Virginia. Okay. Obvi obviously, to get closer to lawmakers so they could focus on lobbying. Um, but the um, what I was speaking to was the FAA whose headquarters ah, is in okay. Washington, D.C., they have a regional headquarters that's very close to the 737 factory that has 1,600 employees in that FAA building. And right down the street at the busiest airplane factory in the world, they've been able to deploy four or five people. Um, and they've increased it to 20, which is woefully inadequate. They just did that within the last couple of weeks. Okay. But again, 20 people in a facility that's got thousands of employees working seven days a week, three shifts, is, is a joke. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me of a time when before Boeing went through that big merger with uh, McDonnell Douglas. Is that right? But McDonnell Douglas, I can't keep all the mergers in track. Yes. But so their That's headquarters correct. was in the Seattle area. And, it, and perhaps at that time, I mean, the corporate culture was entirely different, too. But you had said earlier, Ed, that you don't think that uh, C-suite folks, you know, walk the production line enough, it, if at all. And one of the reasons might be because they're really far away versus when leadership was right there, right next to where the planes were being made. Right. But you, you have to understand that the board of directors in the C-suite and executives in the Boeing company, 
Um, there's a whole fleet of aircraft called Boeing business jets. They're actually luxurious jets that are, all they do is they transport senior executives of the company around all over the globe. And um, so they're perfectly capable. I mean, these, these board of director members are making over $300,000 a year and um, they have a fiduciary responsibility and the public should uh, you know, absolutely be demanding that they get out and, and, and out where the uh, people that are building these airplanes and these providing these products and services are at, you know, for, for them to not go out and spend time on the factory floors of the, of the company is inexcusable. It's negligent. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're comp- all they're doing is sitting back and having people spoon feed them like CEO Calhoun. Um, I've heard so many, uh, there's a, a lawsuit that just came out from the Rhode Island, uh, uh, Rhode Island shareholders group. And in it, they quote the, uh, the Boeing CEO probably 30 times on promises he's made about renewed focus on quality and safety. And as far as we're concerned, really nothing changed. I mean, he went, the former CEO was, um, was removed right after I testified and, um, Calhoun became the CEO. He had been on the board for 10 years. He's been part of the problem. Um, and, you know, the people that I get contacted all the time, because I live in Seattle, Washington area, I get contacted all the time by Boeing employees that are expressing frustration on the pressures that they're under and 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 the push to get these planes out the door. Because all the discussion is, if you go back and look, the CEO spends probably 80% of his time talking about um, how many planes are going to deliver and meet Wall Street. And he should be out there talking about quality. Mm. And, and I don't care how many planes you can build. I want to know how many planes high quality you can build. Yeah, um, That's what you need to be doing. And so talk is cheap. Well, let me play something here from uh, what happened just last week. This is FAA Chief Michael Whitaker, and he testified before Congress, of course, after uh, Alaska Air 1282's uh, door plug blowout. Dina Titus, Democratic Congresswoman from Nevada, raised concerns about whether companies Uh, whether companies, a.k.a. Boeing, were prioritizing profits over safety. We're seeing more and more in different modes of transportation that companies are acting in ways that tend to prioritize profits over uh, safety. And you mentioned in your testimony that the agency found inspections of the grounded 737-9 MAX aircraft showed Boeing's quality system issues were, and I quote, unacceptable and required further scrutiny. Do you have confidence in your suppliers that they can kind of maintain this quality control? It's not a fox guarding the hen house kind of situation. Well, I, I think we're looking, we're going to look at this process really top to bottom to see, see where the incentives are, where the failures are in the system. Uh, and we're going to demand that that quality come up to the appropriate schedule. We, we, we certify aircraft to be built to very specific specifications, and they have to be built to those specifications. So regardless of their uh, other motives, they're, they're not going to be able to build more airplanes until they meet those standards. Okay. You don't see a problem with conflict of interest with self-inspections? We are looking at that specifically. We've asked MITRE, our research uh, firm, to uh, give us options on delegation and, and where we might bring in a third party, for example, in quality control or quality assurance to make sure you have a, a neutral set of eyes on some of those issues. So that is something we're looking at. Okay, so that was FAA Chief Michael Whitaker last week testifying before Congress uh, about who's really guarding the hen house here, as Democratic Congresswoman Dina Titus put it.
Now, we have to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we will go through a little bit of the NTSB's preliminary report that they released just last week about Alaska Air 1282, because I think it reveals some very specific things about the kinds of failures and concerns that Ed Pearson has been talking about that he saw on the line when he worked at Boeing 737 MAX factory in Renton, Washington. So that's when we come back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today Ed Pearson joins us. He's executive director for the Foundation of Aviation Safety and a former senior manager. He worked uh, from 2015 to 2018 at Boeing's 737 MAX factory in Renton, Washington. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we did reach out to Boeing to see if they could give us a comment, a statement, provide someone for today's show. They declined to do that, but they did point us to uh, some of the things that Boeing CEO David Calhoun said in a quarterly earnings call for the fourth quarter of 2023. So here's a little bit of what he told investors. We caused the problem, and we understand that. Over these last few weeks, I've had tough conversations with our customers, with our regulators, congressional leaders, and more. We understand why they are angry and we will work to earn their confidence. There is no message, no slogan that will accomplish that. It's all about real, demonstrated action and absolute transparency every step of the way. CEO David Calhoun of Boeing in a fourth quarter 2023 earnings call, and I said that was for investors, it's for the financial press. Really. But Ed, so, okay, I know you probably have uh, comments to what Calhoun says. We'll get to that in a second. But when he says we caused the problem and we understand that, I'd like to uh, dig into what the NTSB's preliminary report finds. Okay, so first of all, we we keep calling it a door plug. uh, But can you just describe specifically what that is? It's actually it is what would have been an emergency exit on a differently, um, you know, sort of oriented craft. Is that right? Yeah, on, on airplanes, like Ryanair has that model where they have more people, they, they cram into the plane and they have to have an additional exit. So really, it is a uh, an exit on other models, but and they just plug it up for the purposes of uh, the 737-9 model. Okay, got it. So the NTSB really points to four missing bolts, essentially, and they go uh, that were on that were supposed to be on this door plug uh, and they describe how those bolts 
went missing. So again, just to remind folks, this plane was delivered to Alaska Airlines on October uh, October 31st of 2023. And in the NTSB report, when the plane was being manufactured, they note that on September 1st, um, there was uh, basically an engineering sort of errors report within the manufacturing process that said, hey, there were five damaged rivets on one side of the frame of where that door plug was. So they had to fix the rivets. Obviously, that seems to be standard practice, Ed. Um, can you just briefly tell me what is the normative process when an error like that is found? What sh- what What's supposed to happen to document that it was appropriately fixed? Well, it's first of all, you have to understand that that fuselage comes in from uh, aero, uh, Spirit Aerosystems in Wichita, Kansas. It gets trained into the factory. When it gets loaded into that first flow day or even before that, um, they're supposed to inspect that um, fuselage. And then during the course of that inspection, um, in the past, we have seen uh, defects that have been delivered to the factory. So um, employees are on the lookout and they apparently noticed the five rivets that were um, damaged and they decided they needed to repair it, which is the right thing to do. Um, and then, but this is all supposed to be documented. There's systems where you document the removals of parts and, and pieces of an airplane. There's um, quality reports that have to be submitted. There's a lot of uh, processes that are documenting, you're supposed to document what happened. Um, and in and, fact, they, they, they do, right? I mean, they, they document that. No. Got a, they don't. Well, let me just go no. through what the NTSB says, and you tell me what you think they got wrong, okay? Um, sure. So, because they have this photograph, and it shows the places where the rivets uh, were missing or needed to be replaced. Uh, and so, according to the NTSB, in order to do that, they had to open that uh, door plug that we that's the real culprit here. And in order to open that, they had to remove bolts. So they do that, and then later on in the report... When they replace the door plug, there's a photograph, which, again, I presumed was just appropriate documentation. But there's actually a photograph showing that four of those bolts weren't replaced into the door plug. So what went wrong there? Well, um, or what could have gone wrong since you weren't there at the time? Yeah. A lot of things could have gone wrong. But when you asked me, you know, was the paperwork um, filled out and, and did they uh, follow the processes. There's a there's a there's a one sentence in that NTSB report that should be um, highlighted in yellow, uh, in red actually. And I'm going to read it to you. It's on page 17. It says the investigation continues to determine what manufacturing documents were used to authorize the opening and closing of the left mid exit door during the rework. Now this is a month over a month after the accident, and the NTSB doesn't have the uh, hasn't determined what the paperwork, the records, and these records are supposed to be, they're immediately available. They're electronic. So they should have, the NTSB should have known this within, you know, an hour of them opening their investigation. Those records should have been made immediately available to them. And it will either show that the paperwork was done uh, or was done incorrectly or not done at all. And, and this is really important because people are fixated on the four bolts. There's an accident causation investigation technique. One of the techniques is called five whys, and it's really pretty straightforward. People do it intuitively. Why did the door blow off the plane? Well, because there were four bolts missing. Why, did the, why were the four bolts missing? Well, because employees forgot. Why did they forget? Well, they failed to fill out the paperwork. Why did that happen? Well, they were tired and they were, it was in between shifts. Why, why, why did that happen? Well, they were rushing to get the planes out the door. And eventually, when you pull that string and you keep following it, 
the root causes appear. And, and the root causes are not just a single employee uh, forgetting to put four bolts in, but a production system that is dangerously unstable. Is there supposed to be a process here? I'll get back to your point about NTSB is saying they still haven't found the right documents. But is there supposed to be a process here where when any portion of, a, of an aircraft that's being built gets removed in order to fix something else that, like, is there another engineer who comes by and just checks that everything has been replaced to, it, appropriately? Yes, there's, there, are, there are all kinds of processes that are supposed to um, record the issue. Um, like my employees that worked on the factory floor, when the mechanic or a technician came over to them and said, hey, I'm missing a part or it's damaged or um, I, I'm missing an engineering drawing, then there's a there's a documentation of that. It goes into a database. It, people are alerted and then people that are supposed to fix the problem are, are come down to the factory floor and assist the employees. Um, and there's all kinds of documentation. Um this is what is really concerning because um, this is, I hate to say it, but it harkens back to the two cr- fatal crashes because th- because the NTSB did not go into the factory, did not look at those production records. Had they looked at those production records, they would have seen that the two planes that crashed had electrical issues on those planes. Um, so this this whole thing, uh, um, everybody is fixated on the, on the bolts, but they have to understand, like you said, uh, Magna, this is a complicated process and, and it's, it's much more complicated. And they just patched it up and said it's good and everything is, is fine. And it's not. Yeah. You know, I, I was fixated on the bolts as the end point of a series of failures that had to precede it. Right. In order Correct. for for, um, you know, a highly sophisticated manufacturing facility to do something as just egregious, let's just put it that way, as not replace bolts on a door panel. There's failures that had to come before that. Um, and so that's why. You know, you're noting about was it properly documented? Why doesn't the NTSB have that documentation yet? These are all the things that that, you know, uh, not only you and I here today, but hopefully (laughs) Boeing and federal regulators are really wrestling with now. But, Ed, you've said a couple of times here that um, you're really troubled by what you called as planes being rushed out the door before you left in 2018. Now, Boeing claims they don't do that anymore. I mean, in that same Q4 uh, earnings call, so it was a recent, very recent earnings call, had to be after the Alaska Airlines uh, disaster here or the debacle. Once again, um, here is Boeing CEO David Calhoun, and here's what he said. This increased scrutiny, whether it comes from us, from a regulator, or from third parties, will make us better. It's that simple. Over the last several years, we've taken close care not to push the system too fast. And we have never hesitated to slow down, to halt production, or to stop deliveries, to take the time we need to get things right. Nobody knows that better than our investors. As you know, we stopped delivering 787s for over a year to ensure that each conformed to our exacting specifications prior to delivery. Boeing CEO David Calhoun, and I want to reemphasize that we did reach out to Boeing for specific statements regarding questions we would have asked today, but they pointed us to this earnings call, which took place on January 31st. I mean, Ed, he says right there, we don't push the system. Well, that's not true. In fact, I hate to say it, but um, it's it's uh, it's actually uh, untruthful, completely not true. They pressured the system. Um, the company has only shut the factory down um, twice in recent years. Once it happened right after um, 
uh, Congress said that they were going to do a much th more thorough investigation and right after the crashes. And then they, they shut it again right after that because of the uh, pandemic. So what the CEO is saying is, is completely incorrect. Um, and what you have to also understand as evidence that I'm so tired of hearing these broken promises, you know, this airplane has had over 20 serious production quality defects. And, and so when he says that we don't deliver safe planes, just in, just yesterday. Or don't deliver unsafe planes, but go ahead. Yeah. That's right. Well, just yesterday, another um, uh, message came out from the FAA saying they had electrical defect in the standby power control unit, which is a very important component in the flight station, which controls part of the pilot's displays and instrumentation. That came out yesterday. In the last month, they've reported on rudders that have had missing nuts. They've had hundreds of misdrilled holes. They've had... Um, fuselage defects of improper shimming. I mean, I could go on and on. Electrical bonding and grounding defects, um, loose pilot rudder pedal cover fasteners. I mean, the truth of the matter is, um, he's expecting, uh, they're expecting people to go to sleep and not pay attention, but people are, we are paying attention. And there's been incidents just in the last uh, month and a half, there's been two airplanes that had to do emergency descents because of um, uh, um, engine to icing not working. There's been a compressor stall. They've had stab trim motor failures. I mean, I don't know what information he's looking at, but I would love to have an opportunity to sit down and show them the information we're looking at because they're they're asleep at the wheel. Ed, it sounds like you're saying that there needs to be a regrounding of the 737 Max. And I mean, you just described errors or anomalies that go from nose to tail. Yes. And, and not only, we actually, our foundation last week, we actually feel so strongly about it. We don't want to mince words because we don't want to keep risking people's safety. Um, we, we recommended it grounded. And I mean, another thing you have to understand also is there were thousands, I got to stop and just pause because it gets me so uh, upset. There were thousands of quality control inspections that have been removed on these airplanes. And I'm talking individual airplanes. Not all the airplanes, but this there was a program that started in about 2017 to remove uh, inspections because it could accelerate production. And the executives all know about it because they were the ones who sponsored it. And the planes that crashed had inspections removed from them. There has been other this, – this program expanded out. It was called um, – QA transformation plan, then it became what's called verification optimization. They removed thousands of quality control inspections, not just on the 737 MAX airplanes, but on other airplanes, uh, 777, six, uh, uh, excuse me, 87. Um, and this was done, and what, we're, what we realized and what we found out is this was done without the FA's knowledge in most cases. So uh, kind of wrap your head around that. The company had two fatal crashes, killed 346 people, over a $20 billion loss to the company, criminal charges being placed for uh, criminal fraud, still in the courts, and the company is removing quality control inspections. Quality control inspections have been in place for decades, which mm. contributed to the success of the quality of that airplane. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's criminal. As I, as I say once again, we did contact Boeing. We did. Uh, and they pointed sure. to us to those to those earning calls. But, you know, you said mm -hmm. those inspections had been in place for decades. I do want to just take one quick second to listen back to someone we talked to in 2020 after the uh, Ethiopian and Lion Air crashes. Her name's Cynthia Cole, and she's a former test and systems engineer at Boeing. She worked there for 32 years, uh, retired in 2010. 
And she told us about how the company used to operate and the high standards and cultures of the Boeing of old. If there had ever been any incident on any of those aircraft, we would have known every single part by serial number and part number of any piece on that aircraft. We had such meticulous records. During those days at the Boeing company, we had to document. If you couldn't document your process step by step, you didn't have a process. And that was one of the things that made the Boeing company so excellent was the systems engineering. And so we always thought, you know, schedule and cost, you know, any profits Mm -hmm. and staying on track, that would follow if you did the job right. The most important thing was doing the job right. And then the profits would come. And everybody had that mindset. Former Boeing engineer Cynthia Cole took to us in 2020. You know, Ed, I, I only have about a minute-ish left here with you. Yeah. So we got to wrap up, unfortunately. But my last question to you is specifically, what do you th- what was, what's going to take to fix this problem at Boeing? I mean, what would you have Boeing, Boeing do right now? And what would you have federal regulators or even Congress do right now? Well, we're probably going to need another podcast to do that or another radio show. But I will tell you, we're meeting with the uh, head of the FAA. Um, members of our foundation are meeting with the head of the FAA and the Deputy Secretary of Transportation on March 8th, and we're going to give our specific recommendations. I will tell you that that a woman that just talked is 100% correct. She's absolutely like, there's, I, I, nobody could have said it better what she said. I 100% agree with her. The other thing I want to point out that people need to know is there's legislation right now at the Senate. It's the FAA Reauthorization Act. And there was nine recommendations that victim family members put together. These individuals who have been fighting tirelessly for years, ever since they lost loved ones, have been trying to get Congress to make recommendations, very specific, very well thought out recommendations. And basically none of them are being included in the FAA Reauthorization Act. And right now that's um, on Senator uh, Cantwell's committee and Senator Cruz. So I encourage people to to uh, contact their legislators and make sure those recommendations are included. Well, Ed Pearson, he's the executive director of the Foundation for Aviation Safety. And from 2015 to 2018, he was a senior manager at Boeing 737 MAX factory in Renton, Washington. Ed, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Meghna. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.